0: Good morning church it's great to see all of you it's been a while i i I appreciate the uh, the token hymn choice there. You chose a, a hymn by a Canadian Brian Dirksen. You probably didn't know that, did you? but that was a little little taste of my homeland. Thank you. Those of you who don 't know me and my family were um, we've been in Scotland for almost four years now. Uh, Having, having spent the previous 15 years in Canada serving a uh, Bay Community Church in Comox, B.C. My wife is Scottish, and we, we met at Faith Mission Bible College about 20-some years ago, and she was crazy enough to, to marry me and move back to Canada until, uh, until God called us here. And, and we've been uh, here as students and here just to serve the church. Uh, currently, um, I'm one year now into a, a post with Connect Church in Kirkati in Fife, and uh, just loving, serving God's people there. And we're seeing um, people coming to faith and seeing God moving in Fife. It's really encouraging. And I, I think we, we see all different, all different aspects of the church. We've probably been in over 30 different churches in Scotland. And, and so we've seen, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and uh, w- one of the things we, we realize is that God is always, always working. And... We just want to be where he is and want to be agreeing with what he's doing and joining in what he's doing. And I'm sure that's what you want as well. And uh, we've been uh, diving into Ephesians chapter 4 just recently at Connect Church. And so that's what I want to share with you today to some of the riches that God has been giving to us up in Kerkati. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the the book of Ephesians. This is a letter in the New Testament, which is the, the second half ...of the Bible, the the part that brings the whole Jesus story together. The Old Testament anticipates God's plan of rescuing us from ourselves... ...and bringing us back to Him and the New Testament... ...shows how He does that through Jesus and and the letters... ...communicate mostly to churches on what it means to live out our faith... ...to understand who we are in Christ and to live it out. And in Ephesians 4 we're we're halfway through a letter... where, ...where a missionary, a church planter, a guy who started a church... ...in a town called Ephesus is writing to them from a distance... ...and he's, he's been telling them who they are in Christ... ...what Christ has done for them... ...and then he's bringing it to an application... ...for the next half of the book. We're just going to read the first six verses today... ...in Ephesians chapter 4. This is the word of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then... ...I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble... You know, that's just a short passage... ...so something we, we, we often do in our home group... ...when we're reading a passage... ...we'll read it again... ...and, and it often sinks in more the second time. So I'm going to read that actually a second time for us today... ...and let, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts... ...as we read His Word. As a prisoner for the Lord then... ...I urge you to live a life... ...worthy of the calling... ...you have received. Be completely humble... ...and gentle. Be patient... God, we thank you for your word today, and we, we ask that this would be a time where it's not just information transfer from one brain to another, but it would be a time of revelation by the Holy Spirit that we would, we would grasp what these truths mean on a heart level, on a life level, on a church level, on a city level. God, that we would be uh, shaped and transformed by your word, that we'd encounter the gospel ...in a way that that brings us fresh peace and joy. and We'd encounter your call in a way that causes us to stand up and to walk boldly in the direction you send us. Lord, we need you, I need you, and we trust you to be at work here as we take this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a caveat I need to begin with as I come to this message. And uh, this is the caveat. This is only a message for a certain group of people. So here's a group of people, and if you're not in this group, you can feel free and, and have an early, early finish to the service, okay? You can head out. And this is only for people who ever struggle in a relationship. Is there anybody not in that group? Anybody who feels like they should go? We're all going to stay. Okay. Well, I guess this message is for everybody then. And, and I think um, today also, just recognizing where we are... ...in the calendar year. This, this is a message for everybody, but, but let's also say dads and fathers, happy Father's Day. And I want to ask us as, as the men to, to take this message to heart, especially as the leaders in our marriages... ...or in our homes and in our church, to be allowing God to, to really challenge us as those who need to step up... ...and say, I want to be the first one to respond and to let this shape my life. Okay, dads and men... That's what we do on Father's Day back in Canada. The Mother's Day, they get like a warm, encouraging message and the men get a kick in the pants. Uh, you say trousers here, I'm sorry. A kick in the trousers. But, so, so, Dad, let's, let's really take it to heart. And Happy Father's Day. Now, I, I want to I share with you as I start, sometimes God will speak to us uh, directly through his word. And sometimes also just in our prayers, in our daily life, he'll, he'll meet us in the place of our imagination. And bring things to light in a fresh way. And I had a friend who... She, she, she had that kind of experience. And, and this is what she shared... That I, I think helps to set the stage... For what God is doing in our hearts through this text. This was the, what, what, what happened in her imagination. She said, I see large stones about a foot in circumference... All rubbing together, making such an overwhelming noise... It's impossible to even think. Lots of dust and small bits chipping, chipped off one another... ...causing anger and pain. And then a large container starts pouring a shiny kind of cement over the rocks... ...and it sets the rocks in their place. And the noise is replaced by a harmonious humming sound... ...that's beautiful and vibrating in my chest. The church is being glued together by faith... ...each living stone in its place... ...separated by individual faith... ...yet in perfect unity. I wonder if you can identify with that picture of of stones crashing against each other... ...and the noise and the anger, and the pain. And I I wonder if we all also know what it's like when God comes with with just that that cement... ...that that glue of his spirit to bind us together in a supernatural way. Isn't that what we want to see in our our homes, in our churches, in the church in Scotland? And I, I wonder about this 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 question of unity. We're going to look here in today's passage about four ways God calls us to walk in in unity and how we build that, how we support what's already there because it's already a defining reality of what God has made when he made the church. Now, when has the world really seen unity? When has the world really experienced unity? If you think about when God first made the world and you had... One man and one woman, Adam and Eve, at that point, there actually was perfect unity and harmony. And none of us have ever seen it quite the way it was then. Until they chose to sin and turn against God. They broke unity with God and when we did that, we broke unity with each other. And from then on it was, it was Adam saying, God, look at this woman you gave me. She's a problem. And it was, it was Cain saying to his brother Abel, I hate you and he kills him. And not long into Genesis, we see the First World War. Genesis 14, we see Jacob stealing Esau's inheritance. And it just goes on and on that relationships break down. And when you get to the time of, of Christ, there actually was in the world a form of peace. Do you know what it was? it was? It was Rome's version of peace. It was, we'll take over your country, and as a result, we'll have, we'll have a unified nation that's this has got peace, peace at the, at the tip of a sword. They called it the Pax Romana. And it wasn't real peace, I would say. Now, in, in the UK, we've seen our politicians overwhelmed... ...by the challenge of how do we come together... ...around making decisions for the future of our nation, around Brexit. It's been so hard. And right now there's a leadership race... ...and, and do you think there's going to be one leader... ...for the, the Conservative Party and for the government... ...who will be able to bring every single person together... Do you think? It would be lovely, wouldn't it? But it's it's a real long shot in the world we live in. And and, and yet the message of Ephesians, here's what it tells us. Unity is possible and unity is coming. And it's possible through Jesus. And it's going to come about through Jesus. When he died, he broke the power of our hatred, of our fighting, of our finger pointing. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about. It says he himself is our peace who has made the two... Whenever there's two who are us and them, he's brought them together in, the, in Christ and in, by faith. And he's made them one. And it says also in Ephesians that what God's done in the church, bringing people together, is amazing. It, it talks people who, in that time it was Jews and Gentiles, didn't like each other, brought them together in the church. Today it might be people who wanted Trump to the, come to the UK and people who didn't. It might be people who, people who watch... ...pet videos on Facebook and people who just don't get it. People who like curry, people who don't. Uh, Canadians and Americans, Scots and English. He brings them together. Unity. And in Ephesians 1-3, he, Paul gives this rich doctrinal teaching about what God has done for us in Christ. And he says this picture of the church being one is, is just a picture of something bigger... ...that God's going to bring the whole universe back into order, into harmony under Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 10. And then he turns the corner here. In Ephesians 4, he says, I'm I'm turning the corner. He says, now, therefore. That's a cue. Okay, something's shifting here. He's going to apply all these things about what's true... ...and what you are and what Christ has done. And he's going to say, right, now here's where the rubber meets the road. Now here's where you do something about it. Because we learn God's word not just so we can win Bible trivia contests... ...but so that we can be transformed... And so he says, I urge you then, therefore, the prisoner, I, the, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He reminds him of, of where he is. He's sitting in a Roman prison. He's in chains. And a, a word he's, he's going to allude to later in this section. He's in chains. Why? He's in chains because he stood for the unity of the church, Jews, Jew and Gentile. When, ...when Jews were struggling with the Gentiles coming to faith... ...and not living the same way as them... ...in terms of all the Jewish laws and so on... ...he, he took a big collection of all the Gentile churches... ...to bring to the, the church in Jerusalem... ...just to show, hey, listen, we're different, but we're not. We have the same Lord, we have the same faith... ...and we're on the same team. And he brought this offering... ...and in the process of doing that, he got arrested... ...and falsely accused and... Put in prison. And here he is now in prison. Because he was willing. He knew he took this risk. He was willing to take that risk. To stand for the unity of the church. And he says, okay, that's who I am. I want you to be looking to this example. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's a calling that goes out to everyone an invitation to respond to the gospel. There's a calling that maybe certain people um, are called... To a particular ministry role or something or or your life vocation. But this is the calling he means to each person who will respond to the gospel that awakens you and calls you into a relationship with God. You've been called a child of God. And he says to live worthy of that calling that you've received. Now see in verse 1 where he says live a life worthy. Live a life worthy in in, uh, some translations like if does anyone use the English Standard Version? It'll say to walk worthy. And, and that's a, a, a literal translation of, of the word there. It is the word walk. And if you and I lived in the times of the New Testament or the Old Testament... ...you wouldn't have come to church in your car or on the bus. You would have walked. Because anywhere you went, you would have walked. Unless you were maybe ultra rich... In which case you, you may have had a, a you know a camel ride now and then and so on, but it was really a walking world. And the walk it speaks of a long path in the same direction. You you get on that path and you go in that direction, and that's what the Christian life is. It's a walk. It's not just an accessory that you, you, you staple onto your life, like like yeah I go to the gym and I, I and I you know I I, I like to. You know, I have a job and I do this and that and I go to church. It's not something you just stick on to your life. It's your whole life direction. It's a walk. And he says you can walk unworthy or you can walk worthy. So who, who here today wants to walk worthy of their calling? Do you want to walk worthy? He's going to show us what that can look like. He says be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now can I tell you something? That's about ten words... I find those 10 words to be some of the most convicting words in the Bible. What about you? What about you? I mean, look at, those, look at those words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I can tell you there are times when my life looks like that. There are times when my life does not look like that. And what will happen if God shapes you and me to reflect these words as a church. He's saying these are the the tools to living as a healthy church family. First, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Now, humility here is not that kind of fake humility where you can never accept a compliment because you're just too humble for that. Uh, It's not that. It's not putting yourself down. It's not deliberately suffering. But this is the true humility, like in Philippians 2, where it says to think of others other people's interests above your own. And humility in the the Roman world, it wasn't really a virtue, it was more of a weakness in their mind. But humility, the Bible says is at the center of a healthy and a strong Christian life. Think about Jesus. What was Jesus? In, In Matthew 11 he says I am gentle and humble of heart. And What was the model he gave to us to see what humility is like? It was in Matthew 18, uh, verses 1 to 4. And he he takes his disciples to an unexpected model to see what is humility and what does it mean to be truly great. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to them, and, and placing the child among them, He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, there's there's humility. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position of this little child. Can I ask you to help me out right now? I'm going to ask you to, to talk back to me. ...for a moment. What is it about a child that speaks to you of humility? Yes, what was that? Innocence. Innocence. And I think I heard dependence? Yes. What else? Trust. Anything else that, that speaks of humility in a child? Obedience. Ch- children also, those are all really really great descriptions. And and they also they they, they tend to be comfortable in their own skin, don't they? It's, you know how we're often we put on a mask and we're, we want to present a certain image? Kids just are. And There's something about children that God wants us to look to them. Uh, They're not keeping... What what would that look like for us? Maybe to to grow a little younger and be humble. Be humble. And it's just gentleness is the other idea here. And what is gentleness? Well, in in the, the Greek world Paul's writing into, it's those with power helping those who don't. And... It's where you're slow to insist on your rights. Where you realize you don't have rights by nature. You have rights only by grace. Do you know in in Genesis there's a story where Abraham... ...who's received a promise of land... ...is there with his nephew Lot... ...and and there's a dispute over part of the land. And Abraham says to Lot... ...tell you what, Lot... ...which part do you want? You pick. Gentleness. It's where you see a a brother or sister in, in sin... And you know you need to say something. And too often we don't say anything. That's not gentleness. That's, that's failure to love. But we often do need to speak up. But it says in, in Galatians 6 that we, you may feel angry at them, but you need to speak to them and treat them with gentleness as you restore them. It's where in, in, you see people in error. Maybe it's Jehovah's Witnesses at your door. And you just want to slam the door. But it, it says in 2 Timothy 2.25 to correct error. ...with gentleness. It's where you prefer to be wronged... ...than to inflict wrong. Paul talks about First in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7. And what relationships is... is ...Paul treating here in Ephesians? It's, it's our relationships in church. But it's those relationships that shape... ...how we're going to relate to people outside the church too. So church is practice for how we're going to relate... ...like Jesus to the world. Now here's what I find the biggest challenge. Take a look at verse 2. And in mine, it's the second word. It says be, doesn't say just be humble and gentle. What does it say? It says be completely humble and gentle. That's amazing, isn't it? And what would it look like? I think in some ways that's why God takes a whole lifetime to shape us into the image of his son. Because it's gonna take that long to make me something like Jesus, and maybe to make you something like Jesus before we get to heaven, but that's what we want to aim for. It says, be completely humble and gentle. And second, it says, be patient. And the word there means long of temper. And behind it is is, is a Hebrew image. And the Hebrew language is very pictorial. And when it talks about anger, and it talks about God becoming angry, it'll talk about his nose becoming hot. And that's that's the metaphor for anger. He gets a hot nose. when God is patient, it, it says he has a long nose. His anger is, is, is pro- protracted. It's delayed a long ways. And that's the idea here in this word patience. It's drawing out, waiting before becoming angry. It's this um, state of calm. And, and all these virtues are, are no less than being like Jesus. He was exalted... ...but he washed his disciples' feet. He was almighty, but he chose to be gentle. He could have rained down fire and judgment on on our world... ...but he, he chose to come to redeem it. He showed patience. Now, I wonder, how can I grow in patience? How can we grow in patience? I think one of the ways we can is when we remember and we see better... ...how God is patient with us. How, despite our sins... Even though uh, my sins are so much clearer to him than than my neighbor's sins are to me, he's patient with me. And and more than that, it's because you're God's workmanship. God's made you a new creation. And in that new creation, you have new traits that you didn't have before. And one of those traits is, is the ability to be patient. It's because we've been made one with others. Jesus is our peace... We're one. And so we can extend that patience to one another. And and finally, so it talks about humility, gentleness, patience. And it says, make every effort, I missed one, bearing with each other in love. Bearing with each other. Now, I find this actually kind of a funny part in the verse. Do you know, you're going to come to church Sunday by Sunday, and there's people there that you're going to have to bear with. Another way to translate this word is tolerate. Tolerate. Do you know there's people in your church that you're just going to have to tolerate? Isn't isn't that sort of scandalous that that's in the Bible? It's saying it's saying that about people in the pews next to you and behind you, and maybe even about you. Uh, And and it's kind of scandalous, but it's, it's kind of comforting at the same time because God understands that you know what we're doing here together, being God's people. It's not always easy, is it? Would you agree? not always easy. And I find one of, the, one of the best sort of illustrations of this word tolerate comes from a book that I think if you were Catholics, this would be in your Bible, okay? So this is sort of close to scripture, but not quite. It's in, it's in the intertestamental books called the, the Apocrypha, which contain various things. Some of it is, is quite historical. And one of those historical books is called Second Maccabees, where these, these really tough Jewish leaders came and, and clobbered. Uh, some some invaders. That's the, the main idea. But one of the, the nasty guys in 2nd Ma- Maccabees is, is this ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes, he, I mean, his mama gave him that name, I guess. and But he, he chose to be uh, a very unpleasant person. And he went and raided cities and absolutely massacred people and, and treated people with great brutality and... In this book, God judges him. He gets this stomach disease. And he's in excruciating pain. And his, his guts start bursting out. And it's so bad, all his men cannot carry him. Because they can't stand how bad he smells. And then it says this about him. It says that he was not able himself to tolerate. That's our word here. To bear with or to tolerate. He was not able to tolerate his own smell. I just find that kind of funny. Uh, you know, in church, it's possible that the person next to you stinks. And it may be because they forgot to shower this morning, or it may be something about their personality and how different it is from your personality, that it just kind of rubs you wrong. And, you know, it's possible that to somebody else in this church, you stink. And, you know, the Bible says we need to tolerate one another sometimes. And what if what if Jesus had to tolerate people? He did. He, he said to his disciples, how long will I put up with you? Matthew 17, it's the same word. He put up with them. He loved them. And I, I, I think what changes everything about this, and what challenges us the most, too, is those next two little words. It says, bearing with or tolerating with one another. What does it say? In love. That's one thing to, like, okay, I'm going to tolerate you, but I'm not going to love you. Like, right? How do you do it in love? Here's how. Do you know, dads and moms, when you first saw that, that little bundle of happiness that was born after much travail, many prayers, how comes this, this little bundle of, of joy. It just captures your heart, doesn't it? And the next thing you know, you're up in the middle of the night with a screaming baby and changing diapers and, and, and messes and things you never, you never knew were possible for you to do. And you're both terrorized by this child, and you love them, and you would die for them, right? And I I think, in a way, that's what church is. That, yeah, we we may rub each other wrong, but we've both encountered, we've all encountered a father who took us as we were in our mess and said, I'm going to love you right where you are. We've all encountered a savior who said, I'll I'll take her place. I'll take his place. I'll pay the price for their sin. We've all experienced a Holy Spirit who's filled our lives. And he's made us brothers and sisters. And and there's a bond of love that allows us to let love be the dominating note in our relationships. Bearing with one another in love. In love. And I wonder if it's not choosing love that releases the power to be able to bear with one another in the way that Jesus would. When, when, when that's called for, and that's not all that church is, thank God, right? But but in those times when we need, we do too. What if there's somebody this week? You know, it's hard, but you just need to make a choice. I'm going to choose love, and what if that is what will turn the corner? Love, and he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why is he talking about all these things to do with our attitude towards one another? Well, why? Because we've been called into a sacred unity. This bond of peace is the peace that God himself forged through the blood of the cross. It says in Ephesians 2 that he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the the, the hostility that was between us. How? Through his blood. Through his blood. All of ...the the enmity, the hatred, the frustration you might have against a brother or a sister. Jesus bore it himself at the cross. All the ways you've been sinned against, Jesus took it at the cross. All the ways you've sinned, Jesus took it at the cross. And when he was finished bearing all of that, there was nothing left for us but peace. Peace. He created something which did not previously exist... It's a new humanity, one new humanity in one body. And it says that we're joined together in the bond of peace. And it's, it's actually an echo of, of Paul's name for himself, that he's a prisoner. In, in the original text, there's a wordplay between bond, which is like chains, and prisoner. And it's almost as if to say the peace that Christ has brought. Just as Paul's, Paul's saying, I'm chained in this prison, you guys are chained too... But you're chained together with peace, and it's his peace that holds us together. What Jesus did for you to make peace with God and to make peace with one another that binds you together. And our calling is to live out this reality. And this unity is a fact. Notice it says, "Make every effort to keep the keep keep." Doesn't say. To make or to develop or to create unity, it says something very different. It says keep that unity. Now, here's an example of, of um, what the word there, keep, is talking about. If I, if I just say to my, my, my sweet wife here, honey, I, I just want you to take this phone. No, no, take it. No, really. No. Let's <laughs> See, I wouldn't let her take it. She's really strong. But I, I kept it. That is, the, that is the picture in this word keep. Keep the unity. It means whatever comes against it, you're going to hold on to it. You're going to keep it. That is, that's what he's talking about there. Make every effort. Now notice something. It's going to take effort to keep that, to guard that. It's a unity the Spirit has created, Jesus has created, but you've got to put effort in and 50% effort will not do. 75%. will not do. It says every effort. Make every effort to keep it. That unity of the spirit. Because that's what Jesus died for. Now it doesn't mean unanimity. It doesn't mean we're all in agreement about everything. It doesn't mean we're all the same. But it means even where there's differences we say, you know what? That's true. We can be honest about those differences... ...and we can say, but there's something deeper that's true. It's that we've been made one by Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And, and this is what he goes on to explain. There's seven foundational truths that make us one. He says there's one body and one spirit... ...just as you were called to one hope when you were called. When Christ looks down on Airdrie, you know how many, how many bodies of Christ he sees... He actually just sees one. So we're we're a part of the bigger body of Christ in Airdrie today. But there's one body. We're we're one. We're indwelt by one spirit. When you meet one another, you're encountering the spirit of Jesus in one another. We share the same hope of spending eternity together with Jesus. There is one Lord, which refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of God from the Old Testament, which is applied to Jesus... Demonstrating that Jesus is God. One Lord who we have bowed our knee to. We don't choose the direction and the path of our life. We don't choose our walk. We follow our Lord on his path. He is the way. One faith. And that faith here speaks of the body of truth that is essential to being a Christian. And so there are boundaries around the, the unity we have. We're not in unity with Jehovah's Witnesses or with Mormons. Though we have some things in common with them. But fundamentally they've deviated. They've added to scripture. They've, they've lost the way of salvation. And so we can't be in unity with, with those who've. Or, or with you know, other religions. Because our unity is in Christ. Our unity is in the word of God. It's in the gospel. But that's a broad broad family. It includes a lot of churches and a lot of people, some of whom you might not know or might not normally think of as family and, and you'll be surprised to see them in heaven maybe even. We're one. One faith. One God. One baptism. Whether it's people who baptize babies or people who baptize adults, we all agree that there's one baptism that shows you belong to Christ. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And it's that God and Father who we call on, who we pray to. And, and as, we, as we wrap up here today, what does he see when he looks down on us? He sees a people that he loves so much that he gave his son. He sees a people that, we're going to celebrate that, that gift of Christ's body and blood in a moment. He sees a people that For all that he knows, the ways that we struggle in ourselves, we struggle in our work, struggle sometimes in our families and with one another. But he knows something, that he's set us into a family that's unbreakable, into a a faith that will never fail us, into a relationship with him where we're one. And, And so because of this complete oneness, to be true to our faith is to do all we can to live that out. And so I want to I exhort you, dads, in, in our homes to say what does it look like for, for me and for, for you dads to, to step up seeking to grow unity. The unity of, of Christ in our families, in our marriages this week. And maybe it means reaching out for some help where you need it. But what would it take in our church? What does it mean to walk of that unity? And with the wider body of Christ, what does it look like for us to live the way we've just been been reading about here today. And I believe there's such a blessing, such a blessing that's coming on the church as we say yes to God's purpose, that we would walk as one. Can we pray? Father, thank you this morning that we have got a Savior named Jesus. And thank you that he saw us in our sin and said, I want you. I want you in my family. He saw us when we, we didn't want you, but you chose to rescue us, and to create a way back. and You've turned our hearts. And thank you that that when we turn, we, we weren't alone. That we don't walk this walk solitary, lonely, but we have a family. And we're so grateful for the family of God. And we thank you for this particular expression of the family of God. God, we thank you that what makes us one is you. And that is so powerful. And God, I pray for such a blessing to rest upon this church. That we would sense that calling that's on our lives in a fresh way. That we would have the power to say yes to it. And to walk in step with you and with each other on that path. And that the world would take note as they see the kind of people... that have been transformed by Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.